Thanks, God. Amen, amen. Come on, can we give Jesus praise today? Jesus, we magnify you. Amen. Amen. We should give somebody a high five as you're seated today. Turn to your neighbor and let them know. Say, I'm so glad you're sitting next to me today. Come on, tell them that. You're the lucky one today. Man, we're so excited to have you in the house today. Listen, it's a rainy day and you showed up to church, everybody. Come on. You know, I know we already mentioned it, but I got to give a shout out to our hospitality team out there with, they're out there with umbrellas all morning long and our parking team just getting soaked. Can you thank them again for the way they serve? We love you. Amazing teams at the chapel. Man, we're in a great series right now, Song of Solomon, and it's been incredible. In fact, man, this is Valentine's Day week, all right? Come on, fellas. Valentine's Day is on Wednesday. Here's your warning, all right? You got it now. Get those flowers ready, the chocolates. In fact, one thing we didn't do today that we have, we've actually done in years past is in the bathroom, we would put like Valentine's Day cards so the guys can grab them. <laughs> so sorry, boys, we didn't do that today, but it's something that we do. And man, I know that this is like a timely time for this series that we're in, and it's been an exciting one. And you know, I'm thankful that we're a part of a church that actually loves to take the word of God and go through it verse by verse. And that's what we've been doing in this series you know, we really think it's important to have expository messages where we're looking at God's work and unpacking it and understanding, okay, what does it say? Because a lot of things from back then don't always make sense, right? Like when Solomon says to his darling, your hair is like a flock of goats, right? Like, guys, don't try that on Valentine's Day. It's not going to get you too far. But, you know, there's a lot of beauty in the allegory, in the poetic meaning. So we want to do the hard work to understand this poem and this song. And how many of you here were last week when we opened up the series? A few of you right in the room. Man, Pastor Brandon did an incredible, incredible job. I'll tell you, if you're brand new to the church, we have a lead pastor that loves the Word of God. He teaches it so well, and I'd love to give honor where honor's due. But he's an incredible communicator who loves to preach the message of God, even if it is countercultural at times. Come on, can we welcome or thank our pastor? Because I know he's maybe watching online right now. We're so thankful for a pastor who loves to preach the word of God. I know he's away at a pastor's conference and he watches from time to time. So excited to continue the series that we're on right now. And um, Song of Solomon is such a powerful series. I'll tell you, as we're looking into relationships and we're looking into what does it look like to actually firm up relationships. And this song actually is the song of songs, if you will. In First King, it says that um, Solomon wrote a thousand and five songs and this is his best song. And so we're going to look at it today. We're actually going to start from the beginning and look at it, be our jumping verse for the, for the day. And then we're going to jump into Song of Solomon chapter two. But I'd love to pray for us before we do that. Can we pray together? Let's do that. Jesus, we thank you so much that you've given us the word of God. And the word of God is the self-revelation of who you are to us. That's what it is. Lord, you've given us who you are wrapped up in a book. And we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for Jesus who gave his life so that we can have a new life. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. So today, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We love you, and we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen, amen. So this has been the theme verse, and we're going to kick it off. And she's speaking here, the darling, and she says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Really, this book is about how you love, the way you love, the way that you treat people, your spouse, your kids, people at the office, the people that you come in contact with. 
in a private or in public setting everywhere. And she's saying, you're really good at it, Solomon. You're good at relationships. And she goes on and she says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes for your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. She says, when you walk into the room, Solomon, people know that you're there. They know your fragrance. They know your character. They know who you are. And no wonder every single woman wants to be with you. But she says, they can't because you are all mine. She is just excited. Last week, we talked about the art of attraction, how they were attracted to each other, not just physically, but in many other ways. And all of us need to hear this, whether you're in a relationship or not, because we need to work on how we are going to be attractive and what we are going to actually be attracted to. And so the word of God is teaching that through this series and through this message. And today we're actually, they're starting their dating relationship. So we're going to talk a little about dating and, and courtship and what does it look like? They're not married yet. And so if you're brand new to this series, I don't want you to check out, okay? If you're brand new and, and maybe you're single or you're, or you're right now, you're already married, don't check out because there's a lot of things that are happening inside here. And so next week, they actually, I think next week or the week after, they're going to get married and they're going to have a honeymoon and Pastor Brandon, the man himself, is going to to talk about the honeymoon. Okay, we're gonna let him do that. The honeymoon in Song of Solomon was actually two, I think it's two chapters long, and so he's gonna do a credible word preaching about that. And so I don't know when that is, maybe this week or next, but we want to go through this book because I want you to know this book has so much in it, and God wants to speak so much to you. How many believe that today? God wants to speak through his word to us. And you know, this is really, when you look at Song of Solomon, this is actually like a, a book, a lot of theologians say it about God's love for us, but it's really displayed in here. And today I want you to know we have a tough task because it can be a sensitive topic that we're talking about. So I want to give you two ground rules as we jump in today. You ready? Here are the two ground rules. Number one is, I want you to hear this message as if it is for you and not your neighbor, right? So no more elbowing your neighbor and being like, hey, did you hear what he said? Come on, that's all about you, right? So that's number one. Here's number two. I need you to use a filter for the future. See this through the lens of the future and not the past. Okay, I want you to hear that right now. The enemy is going to work very hard as you maybe hear some things that are talked about in this series. Here's some things that are talked about today to say, man, well, you've already screwed up and you've already messed up. But how many of there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ? Amen. The old is gone. The new has come. And so I want you to see it through the lens of your future and not in the past. So we look forward. We don't look back. I don't care about how many failed relationships you may have had. Please know this. Jesus cleans us up and he gives us another chance. And I am so thankful for that. Amen. Who's thankful that Jesus cleans us up? He gives us a fresh start. And so today we're going to talk about the dating relationship between these two. They're in this infatuation stage. They're excited. And honestly, we want to confront this head on because really in the last hundred years, since the 1920s, the dating game has really changed. Before the 1920s, it was a little bit more about courtship and groups and biblical courtship and model, but the model of dating nowadays is looking very, very different. And pretty much every principle we're going to give you today will lead you back to God's way versus the world's way. So today at church, we're going to talk about God's word. And I thought it would be cool just to kind of show you some pictures. Actually, Bridget and I met when we were very young. Um, so I'm going to show you some pictures, all right? So, so brace yourself. I look a little different than I did back then. We met when I was 13 and 14 years old. And here's a picture of us hanging out in youth group with all of our friends right there. This is Bridget right there. And this is actually on a trip that we were going to with our youth group for something called the Choir of the Fire. And, you know, wow, Choir of the Fire, blast from the past right there. 
And so we, we were raised in like stricter homes. We're in a lot of date, but we're able to be good friends. But as the years went on, I built up the courage as I had permission to ask Bridget to be my girlfriend. And July 15, 2001, I asked her to be my girlfriend. All right. Here's a picture of us on our first date right here. Come on. I was totally a wannabe Backstreet Boy. I'm not going to lie. That's the error right there. Bridget's still looking the same. And, and, you know, let me pause and just say this real quick, because I know we got a lot, of, a lot of people, young people in the room. Listen, guys, let me tell you something. It is okay to ask a girl out. Come on, everybody. Let me just empower. Let me just stand for a second and let you know it's okay to ask somebody out. Just in the famous words of Wayne Gretzky himself, you miss 100 of the shots you don't take, okay? And so we started dating and formed a relationship. In fact, I won't keep this up so you can laugh at me the whole time. I'll take it down. Started dating and... Bridget actually went off to college before I did, and, and I, she went to school in Boston, Massachusetts. I went to school in Lakeland, Florida, and we did long distance for about five years. And so anybody ever hear of an old-fashioned calling card? Anybody in the room know what a calling card is? Okay, for all you young people, maybe under 35 or so, a calling card is a card that you would call an 800 number, which would then give you minutes so that you can make a phone call to somebody else. And so a lot of our relationship was spent on calling cards or instant message, aim. I know that doesn't exist anymore. But we built our relationship in those years. And I want you to know, if you're single and you're in the room sometimes, I know it can be hard because in a relationship series or even if you're at a wedding, come on, how many know you got that aunt at the wedding that when they're getting married, they nudge you like, man, you're going to be next, right? You know, you should do that aunt next time when you're at a funeral, you should nudge her and be like, you know what? You're going to be next. <laughs> I'm joking. That's mean. I know. That's not okay. <laughs> but listen, the reason why it's so different now is because the dating game has, it's really changed, right? It's, it's like boy meets girl, or maybe boy meets girl on a dating app, and they go out to eat together. Girl orders a very expensive meal. The boy gets really nervous, but still pays for it, right? And then one of them asks the other, hey, why don't we come back to the house? And they go back to the house, and they're looking at each other with all googly-eyed, and and finally, one thing leads to another. Maybe they start kissing. Maybe they lay down together. And one says, hey, why don't you spend the night? And the other one says, yeah, I will. And what happens is they start jumping into a marriage relationship with actually living within a marriage covenant. And so time goes on, and boy meets another girl, and girl meets another boy, and they begin to repeat this process maybe a few times, maybe even a dozen times. And so finally, one day, boy meets the right girl. He meets the girl of his dreams, and girl meets the right one, and they begin to date, and they eventually get married for only then for a few years later to find themselves in a divorce. And they say, hey, what went wrong? What happens and I want you to know, here's a thesis for today, and the motivation is not in your notes, but I want you to see it today, and that is this. We got to play like we practice. We got to play like we practice. In fact, think about this. In all other areas of life, in academics and in finances, man, we're, we're thinking about the future. We're planning ahead. We're making sure we save up the pennies right in our budget so that we can have a surplus later along or an investment. Or maybe you're in school and you're like, man, I got to work really good at school. I got to make sure that I do well on my degree so that I can have a great job in the future. Or I can continue my education. But for whatever reason, in relationships, we have flipped it upside down for whatever reason. And we pretty much just said, hey, listen, you're going to be tied down for the rest of your life. You're going to have that ball and chain. So right now, go out and have all the fun you want to have. And the truth is, this is what society has taught us. But as a church, I want you to know, we are standing up to let people know that you've got to play like you practice. 
You got to make sure that you're investing in a future that's going to give you decades and decades of bliss. And the decisions that we make now will actually determine the future that we experience. And so as we jump in, I, wanna, I wanted to bring in a scripture that I think really helps us today that actually Solomon himself wrote, but it's in Ecclesiastes. And here's what he says. He says, there is a time for everything and a, come on church, say it with me, and a season for every activity under heaven. In other words, not all activities fit into all seasons. Now I want to introduce you to the concept that some seasons have certain activities, other seasons it's more appropriate to have those activities in that season, but you can't do any of all of these things in all the seasons. We're not going to follow our feelings, right? We're going to follow the timing and the seasons that we are in. And I really think that that is countercultural. And the truth is, is the world will tell us you need to follow your feelings. I'm telling you today in this church, we are going to let you know you are not to follow your feelings. You're to follow the seasons and the time that God has brought you into because his timing is perfect. And the season that he has set up, develop us and prepare us for the future. Can I hear a good amen about that? And this is the truth for us today. So I want to talk about the seasons of dating and courtship and what they look like. And, and so here in Song of Solomon chapter 2, this is his darling talking. And she says, listen, my lover, look, here he comes. He's leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Come on, this is how I feel Bridget thinks when I come home from work every day. She's so excited, right? She thinks he's Superman. He's bounding over the hills. Look at him, mom. Isn't he so fine? She thinks his man is fine. Look at that gazelle. What a fine stag. I love the language, right? And look, he, she goes on to say this. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Listen, he's not a peeping Tom, I promise. I know it's... No, no, what is he doing? He's showing up for a date. And she's looking out the window. Oh my goodness, he's pulling up the driveway in that Buick century that his grandfather gave him. Come on. And it says here, Solomon then spoke, and he says, my lover spoke, right, and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me to Maggiano's today, because I'm taking you on a date. And so here they are in the Song of Solomon. They're actually dating. They're starting their dating relationship, and they're fired up about it. And they have entered into a season that every single one of you in this room, in some point of your life, have entered into. Maybe it's the first time you came to the chapel. Maybe it's the first time you got that brand new job. Maybe it's a brand new marriage and relationship you're in. You're entering in the season where she thinks that it is perfect, a season of perfection. And listen, if you stick around long enough, you'll figure out that job isn't, that church isn't, and in any marriage, you'll find out it isn't either. And when you first meet that person, there's this phrase that I know we've heard a lot about love, right? They say that love is what? Love is blind. Because you just think he's Superman. You think he can't do anything wrong. You think, man, this is who I want. And help me out, marry people, right? It isn't always like that. Come on, ladies. You know, he isn't the perfect one, right? All the time. Man, how many know she's not the perfect? I'm joking. I'm not going to set you up for failure, man. I'm not going to do that. So what do you do in the season, the beginning season of a relationship, the beginning season of the butterflies and everything's perfect and everything's amazing? Here's a few things I want to give you to buy by. This is a very practical message today, and I want to say this. The world is going to teach you some things that we're going to teach very differently within the walls of this church. 
And I want you to know, because it's important for us to recognize and know that God wants us to lead and live a godly life. So here's three things that I think are so important for us to abide by in the beginning stages of any kind of relationship. Here's the first one, and that is that you've got to limit your time. Limit your time that you're alone with someone. Listen, you're going to be alone with them eventually, maybe even longer than you want to be alone with them in the future. But you have to guard yourself from the extended time alone together right now in the relationship. You know why? Is because the enemy is going to try to test you, tempt you, pull you into things. A good feeling, right? Right feelings just at the wrong time. So it's okay to feel this way and even want that, but you have to know you've got to put guardrails around your time. Even though everything inside of you wants to spend so much time with this other person, man, I want to be with him every day. You've got to recognize, no, I've got to pace myself. I've got to make sure I develop a discipline. I've got to make sure that I'm in a place where I'm not always spending the time with that person. In fact, I remember when Bridget and I were dating, I would go over to her house on the earlier years of our friendship, and I would always hang out with her family, or I'd be, have dinner with them, and her father was this amazing, intimidating man from San Juan, Puerto Rico, okay? He was a hardworking man. I was definitely intimidated by him when I was a kid. Now we have a great, great relationship and friendship, but he was a hardworking man that would get up at 4.30 in the morning, get on a train to Manhattan, work a job, come home, and be home around 7 or 7.30 at night. He did this for like 43 years or something. You know, in a little sprint of that time, when he would come home from work, who would be there in the house? Well, Joel would be there in the house. And then the next night, he'd come home from work, and who would be there? Well, Joel would be there again in the house. This happened a few nights, and finally, Lou was like, he came home from work one day. He saw that I was there. He put his stuff down. He knew I was in earshot. He said, you know what? I think I've seen enough of Joel for a whole month. And he told me not to come back to that house for an entire month. And I listened to Lou. But I want you to know I learned something so important. That is that you have to manage your time. You can't just spend all of your time, especially in the beginning stages. Here's another thing that you need to make sure you set some barriers and boundaries around. That is you got to limit your talk. Don't just say what you want to say whenever you want to say. Listen, you got to be cautious in the dating stage, in the beginning stages, because what you say has weight to it. Be careful to say the words, I love you. Be careful to start to plan the future and rush ahead. And listen, take your time and know that it happens in the right season and the right timing. In fact, for the ladies in the room, you know, the New Testament says, don't cast your pearls amongst swine. Listen, you may have been dating him for a short time, but you really don't know if he's a pig or not. Come on now. I know I'm saying some stuff today, but listen, this is stuff that I think needs to be said within the context of a church. You hold on to those precious things. You make sure you're like, God, are you ready for me to say these? I want to say this so bad, but are you ready for me to say these? Are you ready for me? In fact, my father used to tell me all the time in the early years of me dating, he was like, be careful what you say, because it's like depositing money into a bank. It's going to gain interest over time. And if you're not ready to say that thing and support that thing, then you better be cautious of the things that you say. So you got to limit your time. You got to limit your talk. And here's the third right here. And you got to limit your touch. Come on, somebody. In fact, when I was doing the message, I was like, you know, I got to, I wonder if I should title the message from the famous MC Hammer line that says, you can't touch this. Come on. (laughs) Because fellas, listen, she's going to be smelling good. She's going to be looking fine. She's at home working on all that right now. She's going to be looking good, but you can't just touch. And listen, I think we got to say these kind of things in church to make sure people know you got to set some boundaries and some parameters around your lifestyle. You know, it was instilled in me at a young age 
that if she's not your wife, someone else is out with your wife. And you need to treat the girl that you're out with right now like you want that brother to treat your wife one day. So it's important for us to know that we have to set these boundaries up that even in the season, the beginning seasons of relationships, and here's what we don't want to do as a church, and churches I know can do this at times. We're not here minimizing feelings, okay? So you have to understand, God created us the way that he created us on purpose. He's the one that gave us the desires and the emotions that we have. God is an emotional being. God is a being that is moved. He's not, he's not a stoic God just sitting in the heavenly realms with the faceless face of no emotions. No, he's a God of great emotions and great passion. And the truth is, is that God has given us some of the drives that we have, some of the feelings that we may feel, some of the things that we, we may want to say, but it has to happen in the right season at the right time. Because when it happens in the right season at the right time, we begin to set ourselves up for a successful future that God has for us. And the love that we're experiencing is going to begin to blossom into something so beautiful. And so the Lord tells us, limit your time, limit your talk, limit your touch. You know, there's another season that it steps into. In fact, it says right here, Solomon is speaking, and he says, see, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of the doves is heard in our land. What's happening? He's saying winter is passing now. And if you think about the uniqueness of winter, you don't spend a lot of time outside as much as you do on the inside. And there's a time where we're going to enjoy all that the other seasons have for us. But right now, we're coming out of a winter season. So what happens in a winter season? What's taking place in a winter season? Even as you look outside, as we're in the winter right now, there's not leaves on the trees. Flowers aren't budding. But there's some things happening within the root system, isn't there? Right now, there's some things happening underneath the soil. They are in a season, a season that I would, I would love to call that they're in a season of preparation. And I really believe this. I, I want to share it with you this way. I really think that your spring will only be as good as your winter preparation is. The flowers appear, the cooing of the doves, things are getting exciting. We're wrapping this up, the relationship, and watch what happens. She says this. She says, my dove in the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, she says. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Where has Solomon been? He's not been out running around with a bunch of other girls. He's not been out staying up late playing video games on his phone, right? He's been up, and what has he been doing? He has been in a season of preparation. And this is what's happening right here. When they talk about face in the passage, they're actually not talking about his looks. They're talking about his character. They're talking about his godliness. They're talking about the values upon which he was building his life. I really believe that this principle needs to come back into our society today, into our churches, into our families, our friendships, culture. We need to fight for each other to know that we need to make sure that we are in a season of preparation. There's going to be a future season where we're going to enjoy a lot of things, but right now he's saying we're coming out of the winter season. And so how do we do that? How do we make sure that we're in preparation in the right season? I'm going to help you understand this. A lot of times you say things like, man, I'm going to make sure I find the right person. No, here's what you're going to do in a season of preparation. You're going to actually become the right person in a season of preparation. You're going to become the right person. But a lot of us are looking for our soulmate when we need to be developing our spiritual person on the inside. Need to be in a season of development. Maybe you're in the room today and you're like, man, I got to give myself time to develop. Well, you know what? In 2024, maybe you're going to take some time. You say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to develop the person that I need to become before I take the next step in a relationship. 
Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to become more mature and become the right person because if I become the right person, you'll find the right person. In fact, I'd love to say, if you become the right person, the right person might actually find you. And a lot of times we're so obsessed with, I got to find the right person. I got to make sure I'm in the right place at the right time. Let me tell you, that is not how it works. You think it works that way. But let me tell you, God is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He ordains the steps of our lives. He knows the beginning from the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He has set things in motion when you submit yourself to God's process. When you become the right person, he sets you up and the right person is then attracted to you. And I want you to hear that today, no matter where you're at in your relationships right now, we've got to become the right person. Preparation is huge. In fact, I I read this as I was preparing, and and I wrote it down, I want to read it to you. In the Jewish culture, the father took responsibility to do this for his son. Before the son could even get married, he had to build his house. It was called the huppah. He said, you want to get married? Great. Go build the house first. And his father would supervise the whole project, helping him with all the details. The father was so involved that if anyone asked the groom, when are you going to get married? He would say, only my father knows. He was waiting to be released. You know, you may have seen a Jewish wedding, but oftentimes you'll see four posts with a canopy on top. And it symbolizes that the groom had built a home and he was ready to bring his beautiful bride to a well-prepared home. And the bride would be the same way, prepared by her mother in godliness. In fact, her integrity was closely guarded because it was considered the greatest gift that a woman could ever give to her future husband was her purity. And when the engagement was announced, listen to this, they would not see each other for an entire year. Imagine being engaged, not seeing that person for an entire year. You would have a group of men watching over the groom and you'd have a group of women watching over the bride and they would literally walk around them protecting them. In fact, as it goes on, it even shares it. In some of the weddings, the groomsmen would have swords at their wedding. Come on, guys. You could do it again. I'd be like, man, I love to have groomsmen with swords at my wedding. But it was this symbol of like, hey, you're in a season of actually being prepared. And I want you to know, we need to bring back that season of preparation into our culture today, Amen. We need to recognize and know that, hey, you know what? There are some things you do need to learn that you're not going to be able to learn out there in the world or online, but there's things that you're going to learn within the context of godly family and the context of God's word that's actually going to give you the strength and the foundation to propel you into future relationships. So this is one of the things we have to do. Here's another thing we have to do when we're preparing ourselves. We have to learn to walk in love. You know, people will often say, I fell in love, right? Like love is a ditch or something that you fall into, I love when people say, I fell in love. When you fall in love, it, it really what it is, you're just following your emotions, right? We're not here to follow our emotions. We're here to actually walk in love. We're here to recognize and know that we're not going to just say, oh my gosh, because of how I feel, I'm in love. Like, you're, you're going to walk in love. One of the best ways I think that we can love and walk in love is to actually serve people. So in a season of preparation, here's what it looks like to walk in love. It means you are learning yourself how to actually care for people. And any married person in this room can attest to you that this is one of the most important things and sometimes the hardest things to do in a married relationship. And that is to actually serve the other person that you're with. Even in the moments you don't feel like they deserve it, even in the moments where you feel like, you know what, I don't, I'm tired, I don't want to do this. I tell you, when you're in a season of preparation before you make a big commitment and you learn how to serve the other person, it's going to set you up for such great success. In fact, Jesus even says in John 15, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. 
This is what Jesus did. He ultimately showed us what it looks like to walk in love as he got on his, his knees and his hands and he washed the feet of the disciples and their dirty feet. Even Judas, the one that was going to betray him, he showed love to them. In the season of preparation, we have to learn to walk in love. In fact, church, this is why I love growth track and this is why I love the things that we do here, serving on team. That's why I love our hospitality team out there this morning with umbrellas and our parking team just slain early in the morning with the rain coming down. Listen, we, we say all, hey, jump into a growth track, jump in a team. We don't say it because we need the help. We say it because we know you're going to learn what it looks like to walk in love. You're going to learn what it looks like to actually serve people around you. And I'll tell you, when you are walking in love, you're preparing yourself to be in a relationship that even in the moments where you feel like they're not perfect, I'm still going to serve. Even the moments we feel like it's really hard right now, I'm still going to serve. In fact, there's this movie quote from the 90s that I just want to shatter today, and it's this movie quote a lot of people will use, and it's like the phrase that says, you complete me. Come on, how many have heard that phrase before? You complete me. And the truth is, is that no one person can ever complete you. And if someone else completes you, I want to let you know, when they fail you, you're going to feel incomplete again. How many know that? And the truth is, here's what else we have to do in a season of preparation. We got to fix all of our hopes and our dreams on God and not someone else. And I'll tell you, listen, this is so key and important. No one person on earth can complete you. The only one person that could do that is Jesus himself. And the sooner we grasp that, the easier it's going to be for us to walk things out in our marriages, in our relationships, to understand that all the satisfaction that we need, all the wholeness that we need only comes from Jesus. And so in a season of preparation, we need to know that. In fact, I wrote it down like this, that anything you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Outside of Jesus, anything that you idolize, you'll eventually demonize. Even in a married relationship, even in someone that you're in a relationship with right now, don't, don't put that person on a pedestal, a pedestal because I'm telling you, at some point in the relationship, they're going to fail you and you're going to feel incomplete. But if Jesus completes you, you're preparing yourself. Here's the last season that you see that they're in. And it's in Song, um, Song of Songs 2, 15. Solomon says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Every time you see the word vineyard in the poem, it means body. Foxes would come to the vineyard and eat the fruit before it had fully matured. And in that verse, I know it's graphic, and it's as graphic as you think it is. He's talking about exactly what you think he's talking about. These little foxes are there to destroy the innocence, to take something too early. And this is really a game plan that the enemy has. But I, I want to bring you back. Remember our ground rules though, right? If this has been you, I want you to walk out of here today, recognizing, knowing that Jesus has made you clean and he gives you a fresh start from this point forward. Amen. That no matter what your relationships have looked like, no matter what's taken place in your life, no matter what's happened, even before you got here today, we have no condemnation that is in Jesus Christ at all. That he's actually come to save us, restore us, and make us brand new. How many are thankful for the freedom that we have in Jesus? Amen? And so here they are. They're in a season now of purity. And again, if you feel like you're, you're not pure, get in line with the rest of us. I want you to hear that today. And know from this day forward that you can leave this place not living in condemnation. In fact, here's the difference. Here's what condemnation does, ready? Condemnation from the enemy says, you've screwed up and you're a bum. Conviction from the Holy Spirit says, hey, you screwed up, but here's the way out. 
This is the major difference. And if you've been living in this cycle of condemnation, that the enemy has been giving you shame and guilt and keeping you in this cycle, I want you to know he does that on purpose so that you continue with the same patterns over and over again. But if you live in the grace and the mercy that we have to our Lord Jesus Christ, you'll recognize he will convict you for a moment, but he'll show you a way out the next step. And he'll say, you don't have to live this way. You can actually move into a different direction. You can have a freedom that the world doesn't want you to have, but I can give to you in an instant, not because you've earned it, not because you've deserved it, but because you are saved by grace through faith, and it's actually a gift that God gives to us. And this is what it looks like for us to live in this season of purity. So when we're in a season of purity, what do we do? What do we have to do? Here's a few things I want you to see that we have to do in a season of purity, and that's this. We've got to put parameters around our passions. We've got to put safeguards, guardrails. We all have passions, and from time to time, we have passions that are outside of the will of God. And that doesn't mean we have to become superhuman, right? We just have to learn to be smart and live smart because there's a fire that's going to burn within you. Come on. But if you keep that fire in the fireplace, it's going to do exactly what it's supposed to do, right? It's going to keep you warm. It's going to, you can have s'mores, right? But if you make that fire somewhere else in your house, what's going to happen? It's going to destroy everything. So you got to learn. We have to learn to put parameters around our passion. What are those parameters that you have in place? What are those things that you can say, okay, here's what I'm prone to do. Here's what's happening in my life. And I want you to know, you can't deny how you feel, but you can Put discipline and self-control around parameters that will set you up for success in the future. Here's another thing that I think we have to do in a season of purity, and it's this, is we got to use family as a safeguard. You got to do it. Listen, the enemy wants you to live in isolation. He wants you to live hiding things, not talking about things. And when I say family, I mean anyone close to you. If you don't, if you don't think you have family, you do. You have a church family. You have pastors. You have a a youth pastor, you have small group leaders, you have family. And you have to put yourself in a place where you're feeling protected by the people around you. Every single one of us needs family protecting us. People that can see our blind spots. People that know when we're a little off. I think everybody needs to have about five people in their life or so where they can just check on you at any moment they want to. Hey, tell me what's going on. Hey, let me see your phone. Hey, let's talk about this. Hey, who are you dating this week? Like, what's going on? Who's, who's this person? Like, you need to have some people in your life. They're going to keep you in check. And you need to be exposing things to them. Because I tell you, the enemy does his, his deepest, darkest stuff in private. So you have to have a family of safeguard. People are going to check on you. In fact, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually driving to church during the week, not on a Sunday morning. And, and there was a red light and there's a few cars ahead of me. And and so I'm stopped at a red light. And so I get a text message, you know, I pick up my phone. Come on, I know you've done that before too. And I'm sitting there looking at the red light and I'm texting like this. And all of a sudden I hear, bloop, bloop. There's this undercover unmarked cop car sitting right next to me, okay? And he rolls down his window and it's Officer Mike that's here every single Sunday morning. Come on. <laughs> I think he's here today. And he's like, I gotcha, just checking on you. Come on, can we thank our police officers? We're so thankful for them, the way they serve us. Come on. And I, and I know it's weird to say, but, but even, in, even those guys, man, they've become family to me. They've become people that can check on me. I want you to know, you need to have people in your life that can check on you and be like, hey, you good? Everything all right? I feel like something's a little off. And here's the last thing. I know we've talked about it several times, but I want you to know this. 
when we're, when we're in a season of purity, we need to do this, and it's really true. We gotta let Jesus make all things new in our life. We have to. Because if you get caught up in a cycle of, man, I've already screwed up and I'm not perfect, then you're gonna stay in that cycle because you're like, what's the point of even trying to do something different? And let me tell you right now, that's a little straight lie from the enemy. Because he wants, you know what the enemy's game plan is ultimately? And he will use our emotions, he'll use our feelings, he'll use our passions for this. Here's what the game plan of the enemy is. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your legacy. He wants to destroy the heritage that you have and the heritage that's about to come. He's trying to do anything and everything he can, and he will use the most deceptive lies to do that. But we need to come back to the truth that Jesus is the one that makes all things new in our life. In fact, you see this a few times in the book. And this is the last passage we'll look at today. It says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. You know, you really think about that. It's not, it's a tough translation. It doesn't mean until you have a desire. It means don't arouse love before it's time. It's okay to have love. It's okay to be aroused. It's okay to want something, but in the right timing and in the right season. So as a church, why are we so passionate about this? Why is this something that we're even talking about? You know, I was preparing for this and I was like, man, I think I would much rather just preach on the book of Philippians and Corinthians right now. <laughs> but you know why we're doing it? It's because we believe so much in the family unit. We believe so much in the family unit. And we're a church that's always gonna be here no matter what happens in your life. And you need to hear that. And I've been pastoring for many years, pastoring alongside of our team, Pastor Brandon. I'll tell you, we are going to be there no matter what happens in your life. And there's no condemnation, there's no judgment. But series like this says to us, you know, instead of us picking up the pieces later on in life, what, what can happen if we actually begin to start a new narrative in people's lives? And we tell them, hey, this is how you should live. This is how you should walk. You know, you look at the marriage statistics, it says that 50% of people are getting divorced. And I want you to know that that is not true. I want you to hear that today. They actually have taken, and you can look this up, they, they take the year of licenses, agreements that happen within marriage covenants in a year, and they compare it to the year, same year of divorces, and that's how they get the number. And it doesn't equate for the long-standing marriages that are even in this room right now. And the true statistic actually is about one in every three people. So that's 33%. But the truth is, is those odds are still too high. Like if you went to the Richmond airport and they're like, hey, just by the way, before you get on the plane, every one in three planes are going to crash today. So have a great flight. <laughs> You'd be like, I'm not getting on that flight. You know, or if they're like, hey, go to a restaurant. Every one in three restaurants going to give you food poisoning, but good luck, right? You're not going to take those odds. So, so why do we take those odds in the marriage game? You know, an incredible study came out from a secular university, an Ivy League school, Harvard and they did a study because they actually wanted to know how to increase marriage survival. A secular university discovered that you can actually change the odds from one to three to listen to this, one out of 1,126. And here's what a secular university discovered, how marriage survival happens. If you pray together, you read the Bible together, and you attend church together. How many know that God knows something about marriage and love? Amen? Amen. And as a church, this is how we close, and I'd love for you to end today, and that is this is the key to building a great marriage is living a God-first life. 
It's not a me first life. It's not a let's see how this goes and how I feel type of life. It is a God first life. And I really believe that that's what God is doing in the chapel. I believe that's what he's doing here in your families. And I want you to recognize this and know even as you leave today, there is no condemnation in Christ. He is here to save us. But listen, he's telling us you can live a life of purity. You can make the right decisions. You can have the feelings and desires you have, but you're going to do it in the right season at the right time. Come on, would you stand with me today as we pray and we close out? I know I went just a little long. Thank you for hearing me today. And I want you to know this is so important for us, so vital for our families, for your kids, for your grandkids, for the relationships that you're in right now. And I'd love for you, if you will, we're going to pray a benediction over you and the band's going to play us out. But if you just lift your hands, I want to pray over every person in this room, every family that's represented, every marriage that's represented today. So Jesus, we thank you so much, God, that you are the one that makes all things new. You're the author and the perfecter of our faith. It says in Philippians that he who began a good work in us is going to bring it to completion. God, we thank you that you bring things to completion, God. We thank you, God, that you're the God that allows us, even if we've messed up, to renew our lives, to renew our marriages, to renew our relationships. Jesus, for those that are in the room right now that are starting off in a dating relationship, God, may they know there is a godly way to take it step by step. God, may they not get ahead of themselves. May they trust you. And may they know that you're going to give them the discernment. You're going to give them the direction in the right season at the right time. And Lord, as we leave here today, God, may we know that the God covenant of love that we see in the marriage relationship that we see in the Song of Solomon is the love that you have for us, God. That even when we were still yet sinners, you died for us, Jesus. That even, God, when we weren't living the way we were supposed to live, you came down to earth and you served us and you loved us. Father, we thank you so much for the great love of the Father. So Lord, be with everybody today as they go. Lord, I pray they would walk out in faith. They walk out in hope. They would know that living a God-centered life will take their relationship to the next level. Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks and praise. And everyone says, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming to church today, everybody. Be blessed as you go. We'll see you next week.